This episode is brought to you by Rack and Tour Media Company, a digital marketing and communications firm based in Austin, Texas, specializing in political campaigns and public affairs. Get it done right the first time. And now, from Austin, Texas, The Trey Blocker Show, starring Trey Blocker and Charlie Hodge, with featured guest, Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Dan Patrick. And here's Trey Blocker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Trey Blocker Show. We're indeed honored today to have in our studio the Lieutenant Governor of the great state of Texas, Dan Patrick. Welcome, sir. It's good to be here. I feel like I'm back in my old radio studio getting ready to do The Dan Patrick Show, which I have not done for a very long time, probably full-time. It's been more than three years in practical time, five years since I've been on the radio on any kind of regular basis. Do you miss it? Uh, I do at times, but I love what I do now. So this is the best job I've ever had, and uh, it's a transition from that. Um, but one day, you know, maybe I'll go back and do it again. Well, uh, that'd, be, that'd be interesting. And I don't see how you went from being a radio person to having the schedule you have now. Because I do radio, and man, it's not exactly digging ditches, but you keep a, you keep a <laughs> schedule these days. Yeah, we do keep a schedule. You know, I had it, uh, I, I really had it pretty good, to be honest with you. I was doing a two-hour show a day, and uh, I own the station, so, you know, I would run the station, but I've had my employees with me. Most of them, some of them have been with me for 30 years and others oh, wow. in the 20s, so they really didn't need me to do anything. In fact, they were glad I wasn't in the studio. <laughs> so I was working, you know, two hours of prep and two hours on the air, and then volunteering and doing some other things I like to do in nonprofits, and then... Uh, in 2006, I made the decision to run for the Senate, and uh, I haven't stopped since. And particularly running for lieutenant governor, uh, that campaign was uh, started in 2013. So you take the 2013 session for six months, which, as both of you know, is very busy. Right. I announced I'm running for lieutenant governor. I immediately begin to uh, travel the state. And over the next 18 months, uh, I had somewhere close to 2,000 meetings um, in 18 months, you know, with one-on-one -on -one groups, giving speeches, one-on-ten, whatever it took, because I wasn't known around the state. And then that ended right into session, and then 15 ended, and then I went back on the road, because after your first session, uh, I wanted to go around and thank all the people who elected me, um, sit down and visit with the people who may not have voted for me, but now we're on the team because they thought I did a good job. Sure thank the senators because they get all the credit for the great job they did, explain to people what we had accomplished and what we didn't accomplish. And then you start, it's part of the life of raising money again for the, you know, the next time around. And, uh, and then we came right into this session. So since I announced for Lieutenant Governor in June of 13, actually since that session began, I really haven't stopped for three and a half years. I, I think we've taken two weeks off in, in that time except for Christmas. So it's been busy, but I love it. I, I meet the greatest people in the world all across Texas. How do, you, how do you mark the years? Is there an event <laughs> yeah. that comes by and you're like, boy, it's been another year? Well, you know, as you get older, and even if you're not in politics, um, you're li people say, you know, life goes faster as you're older. And I think right. it's because if you run a business, you're looking at your receivables and when are you going to get your money in 90 days? You look at the bills you have to pay in 30, the payroll you have to make. Um, uh, your kids, if you're raising children, you know, you look at the kids either in the fifth grade, how many years do they graduate? And s we start putting markers on, on our lives. And sometimes we wish away our lives by saying, boy, I can't wait till this gets here or right. that gets here. And so I try to slow down to 
the best of my ability and and soak up every day for the joy in that day and as opposed to you know I can't wait to get home or I can't wait to session ends or I can't wait to you know the interim's over I can't wait till this event's over I can't wait till I give that speech or I can't wait till I travel here just enjoy every day because it does go by very quickly it's hard for most people to live in the moment it's it is hard. a difficult thing to do it's hard for me but I try so, Governor, we have listeners all over the state of Texas and quickly expanding across the country. And I've even got a handful of friends in Australia who have been listening to these podcasts. Oh, so do you have an Australian tie on today? It the, looked yeah, like the, it might be a kangaroo. Are, those are kangaroos. For yeah, sure. I thought yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a shirt. I was in Australia back in 2012. I loved it. And um, uh, so I have a shirt with that similar emblem on. I thought that was it's, Australia. It's a, it's a great place. And so for their benefit, I'd like to give everybody a little bit of background on sure. you you currently reside in Houston. Uh, you've been married to your wife, Jan, for 40 years. 40, actually, it will be 42 this July. Oh, well, congratulations. Uh, quickly, side note, any, any advice for folks out there who are married on, on what makes for a lasting marriage? Uh, on a serious answer, uh, two things. First of all, marriages are not 50-50. You hear that a lot. They're 100-100. In other words, you have to put your spouse ahead of what you want 100% of the time. And then if there are things that you want that your spouse doesn't agree with sometimes, you sit down and try to work through those. But if you each put each other first 100% of the time, um, it works out. Little things like you want to go to a movie tonight and maybe the guy wants to see a Western or a World War II movie, but you know she really doesn't, then go with her choice. And then if she puts you ahead 100% of the time, she'll say, no, I, I know you really want to go see the latest Clint Eastwood movie. So it kind of works out that way. But it comes down to the big decisions. Where do you move? What do you do in your career? All of those things. The second thing is you have to realize that marriage, if it does last for your lifetime, uh, will be the longest personal engagement you have in your life with anyone. Longer than any job you'll ever have. Longer than you'll have your children. Right. Uh, it will longer than you will have spent with your parents. You know, if you get married in your mid to late twenties and you today live to eighties, you're talking about sixty years. Right. And you don't have a business partner that long. You don't do anything for sixty years. So you have to go into it understanding there are going to be mistakes. There are going to be tough times. There are going to be struggles. There's going to be sadness. There's going to be joy. There's going to be happiness. And and you have to get through those times. And we've had our struggles and our tough times like anyone else. Uh, but we're pretty much on a pretty good glide path uh, for the last of uh, you know long time. So, but sure. uh, that's part of it. Well, Governor, I'm married, uh, going on seven years. Would you mind coming home with me tonight to explain <laughs> that 100% thing to my wife? Yeah, yes. Because I know she'd buy the where I have to give 100%, but I think if you were there, it would really drive it home. <laughs> well, it's... Um, what are you cooking? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'll, just start to listen to this podcast. <laughs> but, you know, it really does make sense. And I used to say, oh, it's 50-50. And someone, someone older than me counseled me on that. I said, no, it's 100%, 100%. And, uh, and if you do that, it, it kind of tends to work out. Sure. That's great, well, great advice. Well, you know, Trey is just getting started in talking into a microphone. Is that something you applied to your professional life as well? While it's not a spouse, it, it can kind of be viewed as the amount of time you put into your career and your, your life. What is, what is some advice to uh, Trey and myself um, on how to be a, a good entertainer or someone that, that is interesting enough to listen to that they keep coming back? Well, you're assuming that I am and that I could give you advice. So I, I don't know that I am. I've never considered myself, you know, a top-of-the-line broadcaster, but I've been successful. My first radio job 
uh, was when I was 18 uh, work, and working my way through college, uh, being a country western disc jockey outside of Baltimore where I grew up. And then uh, out of college, I wanted to be a, a, in television. It took me about eight years to get a job. I started out in Scranton, Pennsylvania back in the late 70s. And uh, I got a big break and got hired to be a sportscaster, the first Dan Patrick, there's another one, uh, <laughs> in Washington, D.C. And I started on the same day with Al Roker. He was in Syracuse and I was in Scranton. They were looking for two young guys who were cheap and we started the same day in Washington. <laughs> wow. uh, and that is true. I guess you he know? was a little cheaper. Uh, you know, look, Charlie, you know the business. You know, the, they're not going to pay you a lot of money unless they have to. That's right. So, um, and then I came to Houston as the sports director with the CBS station. And then I bought a radio station and back in 1988, I was broke. I'd gone in the restaurant business after television and, and Houston, like Texas and the rest of the country, had the downturn in 86. And so, I, you know, I was lost uh, what I had saved up in my life and in my restaurants. And, and so I found this little radio station that was bankrupt also in Tomball, Texas, and uh, put together some partners, and we bought it. And uh, you know, our plan was just to you know, have a little station, and, and it was kind of my stepping stone to see what I wanted to do next. And one day, a guy named Rush Limbaugh called, and um, I never heard of Rush Limbaugh back in 88. He'd only been on the air a couple of months. No one would put him on a big market because in those days, talk radio – you didn't talk about politics. Hmm. You didn't talk about God. Uh, you weren't controversial. Every TV, every radio station, rather, wanted their talk show host to, you know, was ask the veterinarian, ask the lawyer, what'd you do on your vacation? What's your favorite recipe? It was very bland if you think about it before Rush. And I listened to the show and I said, wow, I've never heard a guy like that. He's saying what I'm thinking. And we put him on the air in our little station that at that time had more cows listening than people. <laughs> um, and within 90 days, we were number one in the market from 11 to 1. We never spent 10 cents. We didn't have 10 cents to promote him. And so, uh, you know, he's the great entertainer. He's the Babe Ruth of talk radio and saved AM radio. However, for me, the lesson I learned in my – when I moved from Scranton to, to uh, Washington, D.C. in television, and I'd only been in the, t- in the business six months, and so I was learning. And the guy that hired me in D.C., Called me in the office one day. He said, Dan, he said, look, I hired you because I liked what you were doing, and now you've become stiff, and you're not, it's just not working. He said, don't read to me. Talk to me. Hmm. Talk to me like we're at the bar, and I'm sitting next to you, and I just came in, and I have no idea, at that time I was in Washington, D.C., right. how the Redskins won the game tonight. And tell me how that happened. How would you talk to me? You wouldn't, you wouldn't say, well, in the third quarter. You'd say, hey, man, you should have seen it in the third quarter, you know, uh, Joe Theismann stepped back through a great pass or whatever. And he said, just have a conversation. And then the other thing, and then I, so that was important. Have a conversation. I never used a script, never used a teleprompter. Talk with people. And then the second thing that happened was I came to Houston, and uh, my news director there uh, gave another valuable lesson. You have to be bigger on radio and television in your presentation. Hmm. You know, like right now, we've all elevated our voices. We don't normally yeah. sit around and talk like this. <laughs> you know, we, you know we, we're lower key. But you have to break through that glass, and you have to break through that speaker on the dashboard. Um, and so, you know, be conversational. Just talk to people. Um, don't worry about notes. Just talk to people like you would. And, um, and, and bring it up a notch. You know, right. So, you right. know, that's what you do. Charlie, don't mention the outline, please. I'm not going to. <laughs> I know. Trey, lo- I t- the first one we did together, I said, I'm not sure I can st- look at this outline. I'm not, I've never followed an outline right. before. In, but I'm blown away. I didn't realize that you gave Rush Limbaugh his break. I mean, he's the show that follows my show on the radio, and it's, that, was, that was 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah 19. It was, I can tell you when it was. We bought this little 
podunk radio station in in uh, June of '88, uh, and it was like in the fall of '88, and he had he had just gone on the air, and, and no one would put him on the air. So he he had literally was going through market by market. And we were the 40th ranked station out of 40. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> making that up. But he couldn't get on the big, the big stations. Uh, and you know, Charlie, about how the business, I won't go into this detail, but when you put on a syndicated show, you give up advertising if you're the local station. So you don't want to put someone on and give up advertising time because it costs you money. You can have your local guy on, and even if the ratings are lower, you make more money. So the radio stations didn't want to sacrifice that time to put them on the air. I'll tell you a great story about Rush real quick. So we became very good friends in those days. In fact, uh, he's been very nice to me from time to time when we do something as lieutenant governor to praise the work we're doing on the air. I, I hear about it. I never hear it, but I hear about it. He's a great guy, by the way. Terrific guy. Just love Rush. But um, he's a big football fan. And... Um, so we would go to see the Steelers and the Oilers together when I traveled because he was a big Steeler fan. And he came to Houston for a couple of games. So we got to be good friends. And, and, uh, but another station in town, the big station, once he became successful, they tried to steal him away from me. Mm. And uh, they had picked up the Astro contract, and they were going to promote him at the ballpark and all these things, you know. And, and our station is more powerful. And, you know, Dan's station isn't very powerful. And so we had a very good signal. But in AM radio, sometimes you lose signal in downtown areas with big buildings. Right. So I wanted to prove to him that we had a really good signal. So uh, I had this Econoline, Ford Econoline band at the time. I had a terrible AM radio. So I went out and rented a car that had a good AM radio. <laughs> and I drove downtown Houston on every street where the signal was really, really good. And I picked him up at the airport, and I said, Rush, I know you, the competition wants to steal you away. They say our <laughs> signal isn't very good, but let me, let me show you. And we drove through downtown, and, and, and it was like before GPS. I knew exactly where every right, every left where I went, and I said, see, look, you know, here was fine. And basically, there aren't many listeners in the downtown area anyway. But um, to his credit, he told the big station, look, Dan was one of the very first people to put me on the air in the country in a big city. I'm loyal to Dan. I'm sticking with Dan. And then, as God would have it, I bought that station about a year later. Oh, wow. So nice. That's a great story. Uh, Governor, I don't mean I'm to— i take up all of our time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't mean to be rude, but every yeah. time you move your, your arm, I keep hearing this creaking coming out oh, of yes, your yes, elbow. Yes, yes. Uh, you mind explaining why that is? Well, this came up because I came in, and Trey, I, his <laughs> hand was in the sling, and he said he broke his thumb. And, and uh, I've broken a lot of bones in my body. Um, I guess that would be being clumsy. My leg twice, both ankles, a bunch what? of ribs. And, um, but I busted my arm in 17 places and broke my elbow and, and it was really in bad shape. I had a bad horse fall and, uh, I'm just fortunate that, um, I have full use of it, um, uh, because the, the doctor at the time, um, it took him six hours to screw it all back together. And I asked mm. him why he didn't use an electric screwdriver. He said, cause we'd shatter the bones, but he literally had to screw everything in. And we're fortunate in Texas that no matter what your injury or your illness, we have an expert somewhere within an hour life flight away. So they, they got me down to, uh, I was living in Houston at the time, they got me down to the medical center, and, and this guy saved my arm. And, and nobody even knows that it's a little shorter than my right arm. Hmm. And, um, and he said, if you can touch your cap one, take your hat off, that'll be a miracle. And oh, so wow. I have full use of it, and it's the brilliant uh, medical experts we have in this great state. But um, still love riding horses, but it was just one of those, if you ride long enough, anyone who has a horse, knows you will fall off of it. That's right. Or That's they'll right. kick you, or they'll bite you, no matter how much they love you. <laughs> well, uh, as everyone knows, we're in the, in, in the beginning phases of the 85th legislature, and already the Senate has been hard at work, and you passed uh, the very first bill out of the Senate, if I'm correct on that, yesterday. Yes. 
uh, and that being the bill on sanctuary cities, which has been a, a hot topic for a long time, but it seems to have some renewed interest. Uh, would you mind telling the audience what that bill does? Yeah, I filed that first bill to end sanctuary cities in 2009. And, uh, you know, this whole immigration debate and, and border security, and it's, it really began in about 2005. I started talking about it on the radio. In fact, when I came to the legislature, Trey, in 07, our budget didn't have $1 in it for border security in 03 or 05 or 07 wow. because it just wasn't an issue. So it's become a big issue. And, and uh, so what, what Senate Bill 4 by Charles Perry does is just have local law enforcement and local elected officials obey federal law. You can't pick and choose the laws you want to follow. And so you have the sheriff in Travis County who doubled down against Greg Abbott and against the state of Texas and, and Donald Trump, uh, President Trump, and said, uh, I'm not going to hold certain people on a detainer. That's uh, not up to her. Right. When the federal government says, I want you to hold these criminals, uh, she should do that. And she's putting the public at risk when she doesn't and public safety at risk. So our bill... Uh, says you must follow federal law. If you don't, we may withhold funds. Uh, you could have a civil penalty or you could have a criminal charge against you. I mean, the person, folks listening to us right now, what happens if you break the law? You potentially could face some type of penalty. Right. Well, so far, um, all of these sheriffs, uh, and actually it's only one sheriff, our sh- all the sheriffs support this bill except the sheriff, but some police chiefs and some mayors um, uh in almost all cases, Democrats, don't mean to be partisan, but right. it's just the way it is. Um, they have been able to do this under the Obama administration without any pushback or any, uh, rep, um, you know, any, any reaction at all. So uh, our bill simply says follow the law or these things could happen. And I would assume the sh- sheriff of Travis County and every sheriff takes an oath of office to uphold the laws, not only of this state, but of the United States. Yes. I, I'm just shocked and amazed anybody would think it's okay not to do that well but this makes it official because she's always said it was like a request and whether you agree with that language or not this actually takes that away and says all right well then you no longer have that argument because here it is it's a law you drove down all the streets in downtown houston to make sure this thing was right (laughs) yes i did then you introduced it and i'd be shocked if the criminal part doesn't whip her into shape well i hope it does um but uh, you know never underestimate um, a Democrat in office. Um, so, uh, so you have the uh, commissioner's court up in Dallas. What do they do Tuesday night? You know, it was a two-day process to pass the bill. We passed it uh, on Tuesday and then and closed it out yesterday. On Tuesday night, they have a meeting and, and uh, pass a resolution that we welcome people here illegally. So, you know, it's just a, a poking the Texas Senate, myself, the governor, right. the president in the eye, um, and I don't mean to be hard on Democrats. We actually work very well with our Democrats in the Senate, as you know, Trey. In fact, sure. we had a six-and-a-half-hour debate on this on the floor on Tuesday, and it was a very responsible and respectful debate, as it should be. If the United States Congress and the United States Senate worked as well as the Texas Senate, and I mean that sincerely, sure. uh, we wouldn't have the gridlock we have in D.C. Um, you know, we have 31 members, 11 Democrats, uh, 20 Republicans. And the Republicans, uh, we had a great session last session. I think by all accounts, the most conservative, most efficient, most professional session ever. I give all the credit to the senators. They work very hard. They come prepared. And uh, on Tuesday, it was, and the Democrats last year, as they were Tuesday, were very respectful. They know they don't have the votes to stop certain things. um, But they have a right, and uh, we sure honor that right for them to get up on the floor and speak their mind. But they do so respectfully and professionally. So 
you know, I kind of kid around about the Democrats, but but um, we work very well together as 31 members. In fact, interesting uh, fact, you know, we changed the 21 vote rule to 19 rule to vote. So don't even, uh, we won't go into that detail, but you only need 19 votes to bring a bill to the floor. You used to need 21, which meant the Democrats could block any bill. Right. And I've always tried to change that because I thought it was the tyranny of the minority against the majority elected by the people. So we changed that. In fact, John Whitmire said on the floor, you know, had, had we not changed the 21 vote rule, the Sanctuary City bill wouldn't have passed. Right. Um, so... Uh, since that time, everyone said, well, you know, that's going to blow up the Senate. It didn't blow up the Senate back in 15. And of the over 1,200 bills we've passed in 2015, less than 30 passed along straight Republican lines. In other words, 90, whatever that would be, 98, 99% of all bills had Republicans and Democrats because most of what we do in the legislature is govern. It's education, it's health care, it's transportation, it's water issues. Uh, but there are other issues that separate the parties. There are pro-life issues, pro-gun issues, um, school choice issues. I mean, there are issues that where their two sides go to their corners and come out respectfully fighting. Right. Well, as you know, I'm a political junkie, and I've been yes. around the process now for 20 years and worked in the Senate uh, a number of years, and that's one thing I always admired about the Texas Senate is the respect that the senators have for each other and for the process, and it's it's really an amazing thing. And I, we we should send that signal, that TV signal, to Washington D.C. and let them watch it. Yeah, I mean, I, we really do work well together. And and for Democrats who are listening, and uh, I know a lot of Democrats listen as well, uh, to show you how balanced it is, last session. The senator who passed the most bills of all senators was Judith Zafferini. She passed 100, I think it was 102 bills. Right. Um, so it's not like the Democrats don't have an opportunity to do a lot. And I think Jose Rodriguez passed the third amendment. He passed 88 bills. Sure. In fact, I kid them both. I don't remember gaveling your name that many times that you passed between <laughs> the two of you 200 bills. What are we doing wrong? <laughs> but if they have a good idea, we follow that idea. Right. But, the, but there are issues that determine elections. And elections, as John Whitmire likes to say, the dean of the Senate, Elections matter, and elections, you know, um, you know, it, it changes things on who you have in office. And I believe, as the Republican majority in a Republican majority state, a conservative state, we need to lead and be bold. People didn't elect me to be like a little mouse nibbling on a block of cheese. Right. They want me to move the cheese. That's what they want, um, and that's what we try and do. Sure. Are you, are you finding a strange bedfellow, um, as the phrase in Donald Trump, the new president? Wow, that's been, uh, what an experience that's been. He, um, you know, I was with Ted Cruz. I was the chair of the Cruz campaign, and when Cruz stepped out, I volunteered, reached out to the Trump campaign and became his chair in Texas, and we organized 1,500 volunteers to go to the battleground states, which made a big difference. In fact, we got a note from Don Jr. right after the results were called that night, about five hours. I said, Dan, thank you. You, Texas delivered again for us. Everywhere my dad and I went, we found Texans, you know, knocking on doors, making phone calls. Texas raised the most money for him. And those guys in San Antonio, that warehouse that was oh, crunching all the, that cr- data. Yes, all the data was coming out of San Antonio. No the 410 one, boys. No one realized it. And here, here's the thing about Trump. Uh, there'll be things that he does I, you know, not, I'm sure the vast majority I'll agree with. Maybe a, maybe a handful of things I won't. Haven't found any yet that I disagree with. <laughs> but um, the idea that we now have an ally in the White House, and in this case a friend, but we have an ally in the White House opposed to someone who painted a target on Texas. I mean, the Obama administration painted a target on Texas, whether it was the Education Department, the Justice Department, the White House itself. They went after us all of the time. That's why Greg Abbott, when he was Attorney General, and now Ken Paxton, has had to sue them uh, so many times. In fact, Ken Paxton told me today 
he had to file a lawsuit on New, you know New Year's Eve, and then a few days in January, his last week, I think six lawsuits because Obama right. was just trying to wreak havoc before he left the office. Um, I hope we don't ever have to sue Washington now, but we have a friend on the border now. Finally, uh, we have a friend who understands the oil and gas industry. Uh, we have a friend who believes in school choice. We have a friend who believes in block grants for 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 uh, Medicaid and healthcare spending coming back to the states. And the the amount of time that we have spent and the money fighting Washington, now we don't have to do that. Um, in fact, you know what's happening now? Who's doing it now? It's California. California is now playing that role because right. they're they're fighting. Right. And by the way, I you know this whole talk of secession, I have no. I've never wanted Texas to secede because too many people have, have given their blood and life to, to fight for our union. But I'm all for California seceding. <laughs> and, um, in fact, you know, maybe later in the podcast we can give out an address where people can send money to help them. There you go. Um, so at any moment I'm I'm expecting to see President Trump get off a plane in Texas with some bricks in his backpack and some cement and start building that wall. Do you think he's actually gonna, going to accomplish that? I do. Uh, early, uh, early in October, they opened the Trump Hotel, the old post office in D.C., uh, kind of a soft opening. And I was invited to come to a dinner with Don Trump Jr. and uh, Ted Cruz. It was kind of when Ted had come out and endorsed him, and we were all kind of coming together. And so I went and I stayed at the Trump Hotel. And uh, I said to uh, Don Jr., we're staying in the lobby, and I had not been to the old post office, but I'd heard it was just a wreck. And it's a massive building. And I said, so how long did it take you all to turn this into a hotel? He said, little under two years. I mean, two years they took a dilapidated federal building that they bought on the cheap because no one wanted it. No one thought they could do anything with it. And they turned it into this sparkling, beautiful hotel. So he's a builder and he's a business guy. And, and I'm a small business guy. And the way you approach things, you know, it's like if I bought a radio station, you know, I would look at it and say, okay, it doesn't have high ratings. What, how many people do we have to hire to, on the air to, you know, turn around the, the programming? How many salesmen do we need? Uh, what's the investment going to be? How long is it going to take to get an ROI, return on investment, before we can make money? And depending on what those answers are, this, you make the decision whether or not to buy the radio station or whatever business it is. Well, in this case, Donald Trump thinks like that. He's always done that for his whole life. He looks at a building. He looks at a piece of land. He looks at a project. How long is it going to take before I get my investment back? So he looks at the wall and says, like he's looked at the F-18 planes and he's looked at these other things and lowered the price with the, the, with the contractors. He's looked at this and said, okay, we've got 1,200 miles. We need anyway, – and I haven't talked to him. Person, I haven't talked to him since October, one-on-one, but um, I think he understands that we need a wall around our big entry point points because it's easy for people to meld into the population in the bigger cities and you can't find them. But you extend these walls out, you know, 10, 15 miles from the, the city areas, whatever it is, and then you get out in the no-man's land where from the air you can see all the trails coming from Mexico to Texas. You can spot people, pick them up. Uh, so I think it'll be a combination of technology, natural barriers, cameras, and, and a real wall. But He'll have a friend in Texas. Yeah, he'll get it done. He'll get it done. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind. Wow. He, he has a quality um, that uh, actually my dad taught me. Um, and my dad taught me don't disappoint people. Over-deliver and don't disappoint. Um, that's how I was raised. I didn't want to make my dad mad. Um, <laughs> he, was a, he was a Marine. I didn't want to make him mad. But I didn't want to disappoint him. Right. And we raised our kids that way. My kids are raising our grandkids that way. And if you listen to Donald Trump closely in his speech when he won and since then, he, you hear that echo. And I think he grew up in a I think he grew up in a home, although his dad had a lot my dad was a blue collar truck driver. But Donald I think grew up with a father who said, Don't disappoint me, Donald. And I think everything that Donald Trump did was not to disappoint his family. And uh, and his kids are that way. And so 
He'll build the wall because he doesn't want to be accused of disappointing the people who voted for him. How, how do you, how do you uh, deal with the potential of disappointment um, when you're talking about an emotional or, or some uh, legislation or a law that you more believe in that's a spiritual thing, like the bathroom bill? Mm-hmm. Do you have to tap into a different kind of um, operation or, or motivation? Because it's not business-related. It comes from a different place. It, it's fueled mo- mostly by beliefs and faith. Uh, it is, and um, as Trey well knows, and anyone who's watched me for 10 years, uh, I am a dog with a bone on certain <laughs> issues. Um, and anyone that thinks they're going to wrestle away from me um, uh, is wrong. For example, the 21-vote rule. Right. You know, I tried to change that rule when I was a freshman. I got voted down 30-1 to 1 in the Senate. Well, on the first day of lieutenant governor, that rule changed. It took me six years to pass the sonogram bill because I believe that once women saw in a Planned Parenthood situation, saw that it was a baby and had a choice that, you know, 15 to 20% would choose not to have the abortion. And sure enough, that's what's happened. It took six years, but that, that bill is probably say 50,000 lives. Um, uh, the bathroom bill is not about discrimination against anyone at all. Um, it is about, and it's not a fight that I or the Republicans started, the left started this. And they started in Charlotte. They started in the Fort Worth School District, um, now in the Dripping Springs District, now in the city of Houston. And the bottom line is this. We shouldn't need a bill that says men shouldn't be in the ladies' room. We've never – men don't go in the ladies' room because they know it's not acceptable. Uh, We shouldn't need a bill that says boys and girls should not be allowed to shower in the 10th, 11th, and 12th grades. Um, It's about personal privacy common sense, common decency, and public safety. I'm not worried about transgender people. I don't know of any documents or, or records of we've had transgender people, uh, you know, uh, being an issue in the bathroom. There's right. very, very few of them. Sure. But what I'm concerned about are all the sexual predators out there. And if you go on and Google sexual predators who live in my area, people on probation, uh, wherever you live listening, go Google it. You'll be shocked. Yeah. You'll be shocked of how many people around your kid's school, around your home, around your business are on parole or probation and that's the people we've caught it's an epidemic of sexual predators and they're men and they're men and they will exploit these laws and no one will be able to stop them because if a police officer says sir you can't go in there well i identify as being a woman today and there's nothing anyone can do you can't it's the only thing that exists where they have to take you at your word there is no test you could you don't have to dress different you can say nope nope you're wrong i identify as a woman you guys are violating my rights and it just well, here's the interesting thing about rights. I heard this this morning uh, in a speech that uh, I, I was giving before me, and I, and I liked how this gentleman said this. Uh, this issue is not about civil rights. It's not about equal rights. It's about special rights. Someone wants to be treated sp- special, that because I feel I'm someone else, um, I should be able to do this, and then you lose your rights. And uh, uh, so... We just, you know, our bill does four things. It says no government can tell a business what to do in their bathroom. So let the business make the decision. If they want to be stupid like Target, lose all their customers, then they can be stupid. <laughs> right. Um, and I, by the way, you know, the Texas Association of Business, you know, they've been out there with this phony baloney study that was debunked. It was all false on economic data. Um, Houston has had no economic downturn because the voters turned it back two years ago. I mean, we had a Super Bowl, you know, recently, and, and I don't know of any business that hadn't come to Houston. Um, there's been very little... Uh, impact in North Carolina, despite the fake news out there. But um, uh, the the issue is just about 
public safety. And so the Texas Association of Business, it's interesting. They say they represent businesses, um, but I haven't seen any of their 4,000 members say, uh, starting next week, men in the ladies' rooms in our business. Right. Yeah. So, so the, the whole argument against it is the economic impact. There's no evidence. And Houston is the great, it's the only place in America that people have voted on it in a big city. Sure. And in a Democrat city, it was turned back, you know, 60, 40. And no downturn at all. So, and the reason that the left makes this argument, and they've, you know, I, I think hijacked the TAB, but the, the reason they make this argument is because they can't make the other argument of saying, actually, we think it's fine for teenagers to shower together in high school. They well, can't make that argument. You know, and... and uh, I know a 15-year-old Charlie Hodge, if given the opportunity, would have snuck in the in the girls' locker room. Well, no you doubt. don't mean, think about the tenacity <laughs> of a young boy. If he wants to shower with girls and sure. he has to pretend for two years that he's one way or another, that's not out of the realm of possibilities. Any boy will tell you, yeah, I could have spent a couple of years faking something to maybe shower <laughs> with some girls. Well, as we, tape it's true. This, as, as we tape this for the podcast, I think there was a story yesterday right here in Austin of a man that went into a ladies' room. <sighs> Uh, and, and I had a, and by the way, I had a woman that come to my office last week. Um, and you know, this little, uh, you know, like a hook on the back of a door or a bath of a bathroom stall door, you hang your jacket or you hang. Well, she brought in this little plastic hook and, and she'll be testifying of course. And she said, see this, she said, this was in a bathroom where I always went and she popped it open. There was a camera in it Oh wow! and you can buy it for $12 on the internet. Um, so you will have men going in and out of bathrooms sexual perverts, sexual predators, um, and no one will be able to stop them. So this isn't a fight we want it, but it's a fight that's on our doorstep, and so we're going to take it on. Well, and so that's a good point that you just made that I I don't want to just rush past, but I've had a number of conversations with average Texans, and, and some of them honestly have said, why why did the lieutenant governor bring this up? Why does he care about this? And I have to remind them that you didn't bring this I did not. up. Right. President Obama brought this up by issuing an executive order on the issue. Yes. Uh, Fort Worth School District uh, had, a, had a decree that um, the parents never had any say and the school board never voted on that said we were no longer called boys, boys, or girls, girls. Um, if a boy comes to school and wants to identify as a girl, the superintendent told me later out of his almost 90,000 kids, he had six who fell into that category. And no parents ever complained about them being mistreated because they let them go to the nurse's bathroom or whatever, the teacher's lounge. Um, but their, their enforcement said, um, if a boy, if little Johnny comes to school and wants to identify as Mary, that the, that the parents should not know about it, oh. that the teachers should not uh, call or, the, or anyone at the school. We have to protect the privacy of the child. Well, that's again from their parents. From their parents. That's wow. literally what was said in that order, and um, uh, that's against Education Code Chapter Twenty Six, where a parent or guardian or grandparent who's ever raising the child has has a right to know everything yeah. that happens about your child. This was no and, secrets. For yeah, your and by the way, if you told the parent about this, you could lose your job in the Fort Worth School Independent School. It was egregious. And then, uh, so you know, I stepped up into that fight, and people said, "Dan, why are you in a local issue?" I said, "Well." There's no local control if the, if the public doesn't have a say and the public didn't have a say. We we won that, and we got a quarter on top of it, but the superintendent pulled the policy down and said, you know, my, my error, my fault. I had bad lawyer advice. But then now we have it in Dripping Springs, uh, and we've had it in other cities, and so we can't fight this district by district, city by city. So, uh, And people say, well, Dan, it's not that big of a deal besides why are you bringing this fight, which I'm not. I'm right. just defending. Um, if it's not a big deal, why is everybody so hell-bent on trying to get this into uh, – get us to stop us. If it's not important, what's everybody so focused on to 
kill this bill. That's a good point. So along those lines, what do you think the average Texan thinks on this issue, and what do you think the likelihood is of this bill passing the Senate and the House? Well, I know what the average person thinks because we have polled it and polled it and polled it, and I've seen other <laughs> groups poll it, poll it, poll it. Right. And, I, and I don't take a stand on issues. I don't, I don't go out and poll something and say, oh, gee, that's where I am. I go out and take a stand, then I go poll it and say, well, am I alone? <laughs> you know, Am I out there in the w- twisting in the wind? Eighty uh, percent of Republicans don't want men in the ladies' rooms, and they don't want boys and girls showering together in, in high school. Uh, 56 to 60 percent, depending on the poll, of Democrats don't want it. 65 to 75 percent of African Americans are against it, mm-hmm. particularly African American women, and 65 to 75 percent, depending on the poll, of Hispanics. This is a this is a controversial issue. It's interesting. The only people who support this policy in the polls are Anglo liberals, the elite, and those who and the media and the print media. What's well, right. the hypocrisy of? Be accepting of everyone, except we're not going to accept your beliefs. Because what about all the girls in that locker room that they act like, oh, well, they'll just be fine with it. Maybe they're not ready to experience. I mean, it, it violates what their parents want for them, what 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 the the sanctuary that that room should sure. be. And it just you already have a problem with men that don't don't know their um, you know, don't have self-control and they're violating the law already. And so it's. No, Seems it, like a no-brainer. Yeah. And, and when people when people actually think through it, they, they, they understand it. And, and again, they always, I've yet to have one person that say, you're wrong. I think boys are, I've not had one person, Democrat, Republican, liberal, moderate, or conservative. I'm sure someone will call me after this show. <laughs> um, one person who says, you know, Dan, I actually think men should be allowed to go in the ladies' room, um, even if they're not really transgender people. And, and I also mm. think it's fine for boys and girls to use the same showers and locker rooms and bathrooms from kindergarten to the 12th grade. I've not had one person say that to me so will the bill pass um uh, we have the votes to pass it in the senate despite what some of the media continues to write i mean we have 15 co-authors and and uh, so we'll we'll move this bill um in uh, several weeks as soon as you know we can't bring a bill to the floor unless it's an emergency item until uh, early march right so we'll bring this bill out and then it goes to the house now the speaker has said it's not a high priority for him it's a high priority for all the people who vote for all of his members including Democrats. Sure. So we'll see what happens. I, look, I can only control the Senate. And then, um, but there are a lot of things this session, whether it's reducing property taxes that we're leading the charge on, school choice, which we're leading the charge on again, and this issue of pro- the Texas Privacy Act. I just want an up or down vote in the House. If you don't want to reduce people's property taxes, because I think they're desperate for property tax relief in Austin and every other city and the rural areas, if you don't want to give parental choice uh, to kids, if you don't, if 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 you if you are okay with with boys and girls showering in high school, because um, you know you can't have it both ways. Right. If you are against the bill, and that's what I tell the Texas Association of Business, if you are against the bill, then you are for men in bathrooms, and you are for boys and girls showering together in high school. You know, don't, S- don't simple logic. Simple logic, and so I just want an up or down vote on these key issues. Property taxes, once again, seventy to eighty percent support to reduce property taxes. School choice, 70 to 80%. I'm talking about across the board. And so I just want an up or down vote. And if we lose, then we lose. But I don't think we're going to lose. Sure. And, and talking about property taxes, that's an issue that's been around for a long time. The, the legislature has debated it for a long time. There, there was some major property tax reform a number of sessions ago, and it just didn't seem to work out well for homeowners because the appraisal districts just increased the values of the homes. So how do we solve this problem? Yeah, back in, uh, I guess it was 2000 and, 
six or so there was the big move on property tax and you know the state did and the state people don't realize this but the state does buy down their local property tax by about 45 or 50 cents depending on the district uh for every home we do pay that but the appraisal values went up uh, over the last several years in fact over right away and washed it out so last session i took the first small step because we didn't have the votes for a bigger step and the small and the small step was we raised the homestead exemption from fifteen to $25,000, which is the first time it's been raised since the 90s. And then secondly, and this was actually a big step that no one uh, realized either, uh, we put in the Constitution there never can be a sales tax when you sell your property. Many states have either explored or implemented a sales tax. So if you sell your home, your ranch, your farm, your apartment building, your office, whatever property you have, that there's a sales tax on it. And and there's been talk of that in Texas because that's a big pot of money. Right. You know, put two or three percent on the, your your sale of your property. So that so we passed that last session. This session, um, we're taking the next step. Right now, a city and county government, school districts, you know, they can they can raise their taxes, uh, raise their budgets by up to eight percent, and the public has no say based on appraisal value. Um, and people can't afford the properties to go up eight percent a year. And on business, there's no cap, so it could go up fifteen twenty percent. I'm in the building we're in today. Um, if they keep raising the, the taxes here, they have to pass that along to you as, sure. as you know, leasing the space. And uh, so our bill wants to cut that down to 4%. It's Senate Bill 2 that says local governments can grow at 4%, which is about population times inflation. Anything more than that, they have to have a vote of the people. So we're not capping what the counties and cities uh, can have. What we're saying is you can only have 4% automatically. And um, it's a very sensible bill. It would dramatically slow down the growth of your property taxes. Well, that's, that is some relief that I know myself and, and all my neighbors could get behind. Sure. Absolutely. Hey, look, I, these are all, you know, I, we laid out our 25 priorities before session, and we have five more we'll lay out um, before too long. All of these issues, all 25, in fact, the U, of, of all, you know, UT, Texas Tribune poll, Back me up because I said when I was on with Texas Tribune and Evan Smith, I said all 25 of my priorities have support more than 50% or more on every issue across the board, Republican and Democrats. I'm not out there with some, you know, uh, uh, controversial agenda, whether it's law enforcement protection or whatever it might be. Um, we have total support across the board on all 25 issues. And, um, and so I, I'm just I'm just asking for an up or down vote. Right? Will you come back and talk about the rest of those issues with us sometime? Yeah, we will. Because I think there's way too much to cover today, and <laughs> there is, we want to no wrap doubt. it up. But uh, we've been ending each episode with uh, our guest kind of sharing some words of wisdom, whether it's a, a song lyric, Bible verse, a, a quote from history, something Grandma used to yell at you, <laughs> anything. But if something comes to mind, I'm, I'm sure people listening would uh, love to know what you reflect on. Well, it's a quote that I attribute to Martin Luther King, and if you go online, almost everyone attributes it to him, although some people have said he never said it, but um, someone great said it, if it wasn't Martin Luther King. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Our lives begin to end the day that we become silent about things that matter. So for me, it matters that we keep sexual predators out of bathrooms. It matters that we have taxes that people can afford to live in their homes. It matters that parents have choice uh, for the school for their children. It matters that we protect our law enforcement officers. So that's my quote. Governor Patrick, we <coughs> appreciate you coming on, on the show. We hope you'll come back and join <coughs> us again sometime. We Excuse enjoyed me. having you. Enjoyed it. We'll do it again. Thank you, sir.
You've been listening to the Trey Blocker Show. Find the latest episodes at treyblocker.com or from your favorite podcast download app. Thank you to our guest today, Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Dan Patrick. We'll be back with your next episode. Thank you.